Be part of an innovative fine arts community immersed in a top research university. Carnegie Mellon University's School of Music's world-class vocal department constantly works at the cutting edge of musical art forms. CMU performance faculty are creating projects that leverage musicians' skill sets in unique and applicable ways. Students are challenged to think outside the box as they engage with non-traditional performance spaces, collaboration with electronics, and improvisation, alongside a robust program of traditional studies, languages, recitals, and operas. To learn more about Carnegie Mellon University and to apply, visit the link in the show notes of this episode. This is So Lit Song Lit, a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative, where we reimagine the repertoire by introducing less familiar art songs through sound clips and lively discussion. I'm vocal coach Ellen Rissinger. And I'm soprano Tony Marie Palmertree. Join us as we explore this exciting repertoire. So Lit, So Lit, reimagining the repertoire. Today's episode was actually inspired by an album that our guest, soprano Jennifer Aylmer, a professor of voice at Carnegie Mellon University, had mentioned to me a couple weeks ago. So do you want to tell us about this, Jen? Sure. So I drive a lot. I drive back and forth from New York to Pittsburgh weekly. And this past year, because of COVID, it was twice a week because I didn't want to book a plane and potentially get COVID or have my flight be canceled on me. So I did a lot of listening in the car and I have a streaming service on my phone called Tidal, T-I-D-A-L, little shout out to Tidal. And I would just plug in like Italian songs and like see what kind of playlist comes up. Noel Coward songs, because those are fun listening in the car. And I know I have a lot of rising juniors next year. And I'm like, oh, I have to do some assignment of French songs. So of course I type in, you know, French songs, French collection. And we found this album, a French song collection. Is it called a French song collection? It's just a French collection, but the problem with that is I typed it into Spotify and I got 460 results from that, including a regular podcast and a travel podcast. So uh, you have to look for the one with the birds and the pretty flowers on it. And the performers on it are Martin Hill and Graham Johnston from 1979. There are also some piano solos by Albert Ferber. Honestly, I was surprised when you said the date of this album because it feels so fresh and the sound quality is excellent. I agree. And I'd never heard of this album before, so I thought surely this must be something new. I, I mean, I'm I'm genuinely surprised that it's from the 1970s, but it's a beautiful, beautiful record. Every song is nuanced and a lot of them, mo- I would say maybe 70% of the music on there was new to me. It was, a, it was fascinating. I, first of all, I love discovering new music. I love knowing that there's so much I don't know out there in the world. I, I don't need to sit through another Nacht und Träume, to be honest. I mean, I'd, I'd rather go and look at some, you know, random Fitzner song I've never heard, you know. So my rising juniors, they're super savvy, great storytellers, beautiful voices. So I want to honor them by giving them some music that's not like everybody else is singing but that's still pedagogically sound but also beautiful and this album was a real inspiration there are some foreign Debussy songs on the album 
But that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're going to focus on the other songs. And we're going to start with the Mandoline by Dupont, which is my favorite setting of this text. And I feel very strongly about this. <laughs> wow. Strong words, Ellen. Great. Right? And I'm going to back it up right now. Now, I was curious about this Mandoline too, because I was like, I wonder how many times this poem has actually been set. I mean, people know different versions of the Mandoline, the Verlaine poem. So I went on the song text and leader page and I found it's been said over 20 times in French, but it's also been said over seven times in other languages. So it's a popular poem. So the fact that this is your favorite, I'm, I just, I'm dying to know why. Tell me everything. <laughs> Tell me everything. Okay. So Tony, have you ever sung any of the settings of Mandoline? Mm-mm, I haven't. Mandoline is one of the most important poems that we have in the French repertoire. And like Jen said, it was set by lots and lots of people. But most singers will use the Fauré or the Debussy versions of it. With the Fauré, the piano part is very lightly plucky and very gentle. And as you get into the L'heure courte veste de soie, you get this kind of swirly whooshy whooshy sound that tries to show demonstrate the Watteau painting a little bit because that's what the poem is based upon the Watteau painting in the Debussy version the, the piano part is a little more strident it shows a little more of the jazz the chattering of the Mandoline so you have these uh, I'm gonna call it like a double fifth you have these sort of ninths that get played to show the strings of the violin which for tiny little hands on a piano is not always the easiest thing to play for the whole song but what I love about the Dupont, it starts out with kind of a combination of both. You get this nice, gentle, plucky thing that feels almost like a waltz. The Fauré is in 4-4, four, four, the Debussy is in 6-8, this one's in 3-8. So you have kind of a combination of the two, almost a little waltz, but with a similar feel to the piano part as the Fauré at the beginning, with a gorgeous melody riding over top of it. And as you get to the Lord Courte Veste de Soie, suddenly the whole thing just explodes into this huge dance scene. And instead of just feeling the swirl of the dance, you actually feel the impetus of that of the, the dance and you feel like the swinging of the skirts and you feel much more of the party scene for my taste. I just get much more a sense of the party than I do with any of the other versions. I just love it. I, it's one of my favorite things. It's very fresh. I'll say that. And maybe because it is in three, it has this like lilt in that kind of one feeling and the vocalism, the little turns, the, uh -huh, the little Spanishy turns. They're so French. I'm sorry. They're Spanish, but they're French. Right. <laughs> And you're right, it sort of does invoke like the character you're singing about. It's a great little piece. I was really impressed as it was playing. I was like, wait, I know this. I know this poem. So if you don't know this composer, go look him up. I didn't know this, so I did look him up. So he was born in 1878 and he died in 1914. He had TB. He died very young. But as a contemporary of Foray and 
little cross section with Debussy a little bit. I wonder how much they all influenced each other. You know, right. um, he apparently studied with Massenet and you can kind of hear that in the chords that he picks for this piece, oh, yeah. seventh E chords. And it, it just, it has that sort of signifier feeling of maybe what you've heard around you, but this is a totally fresh, pared down take on it. Unpretentious. Yeah. Yes, that's a great word. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Moving along, the next piece is by Chabrihi. Now, usually when I think of Chabrihi, I'm talking about the songs about the ducks, <laughs> Ils vont les petits canards, or the turkeys, the gros dindons. But on this album, there's this gorgeous song called Chanson pour Jeanne. Beautiful. It's just beautiful. And again, I'm in the car, right? So I'm just driving along and listening to the songs as they come up. And then you get this simple, but totally inviting intro before you start to sing. And then the singing is just, it evolves out of, you know, a, a very four bar simple intro, but you're immediately taken with just like the beauty of this piece. I looked down at the radio. I was like, this is Chabrier. <laughs> what, what it, it's, and it's serious. It's not, it's not Dadaist. Right. It's incredibly intimate you can feel the love in the piece. And I, I found myself hitting repeat and like just humming along with the melody over and over again because I just loved it. And I loved the way it felt in my neck. I just loved how it like sat because again, the text, you can utter it. It's, it's within your grasp. It's not too high. It's not too low. It's like just right. So you can really delve into the beautiful nuance of the French mm -hmm. and you can tell a beautiful, intimate, story which is just beautiful it's a beautiful song it was kind of how we felt as we were playing through this uh, it was just a lovely text set simply but beautifully and it just felt so good this it would be a great song in a recital as a moment of repose like we don't always need just big, bombastic, huge songs on a recital, sometimes we need a moment to pull back and just let the audience just sit and say, oh. Puisque les roses sont jolies, et puisque 
Yeah. Exactly. Yes, you exhale in this piece. Yes, you do. And I really love the piano accompaniment too. Like you have beautiful, delicate, sustained staccato. It's like, it's just magical. It's a beautiful, easy piece to listen to. And yeah, you could put this in a group of almost any other French song and it would be a moment of repose and intimacy and exhale. It's, I love this piece. Love it. And the last one we wanted to talk about is the Franck Nocturne. And I have to say, the only reason I even know the name Franck is because he composed a violin sonata that has a very, very difficult piano part to it. The second movement is basically running sixteenths at like quarter note to 144 for like 10 pages. It's really hard. But I didn't even know he wrote songs. Neither. I had no idea. And that Frank violin thing, uh, that haunts me to this day because when I was at Eastman, oh my God, everybody was playing it. And I just heard the same licks over and over again, over, over, and I was just enough already. You heard the violin part, not the piano part. No, not the piano part, the violin part. I was, wow. It's, mm. it's brutal. Here's what I want to say about this piece. A lot of pieces are written about nothing night, right? There's a bunch of nocturnes out there. Foray has a beautiful one, which I love, love, love that one also. It has a depth. This, this take on night is just fresh, clean, airy. It has the, the silverness of night in it. It's not dark at all. It's very silvery and plaintive. The way the voice part is written I was actually mad because it's not in my key. <laughs> I was trying to sing along. I'm like, oh, I'm like, I just can't be this delicate on this E natural. It just doesn't want to do that, right? So if you're a tenor of a certain ilk and you want to just woo your audience with your beautiful sustained tessitura between that C, E, F place, this is the piece for you. The French is set really well and in a very, again, organic way, on the page, again, it looks simple. It looks very simple, but with some control, with some good breath support and breath management and timbre control, I mean, this could be a stellar, stellar piece on a recital or just if you're just wanting to just sing something beautiful to yourself. I love the quality of this piece. Again, it was one of those pieces I heard and I was like, what is this? This is so beautiful. Yeah, I, there's this one moment in the piece I mean, the, the piece itself is in F-sharp minor for about four pages. And then you get this page where it goes through a lot of sort of chromatic diminished chords. And at this one moment, it suddenly eases into F-sharp major. And there's something about it that's, like you said, it, it's so fresh. This is not a night that's miserable and, and somber. This is a night that's starry and sparkly. I mean, it, it makes me think of going out at almost dusk or twilight and and seeing the, the fireflies and, and my cat chasing the fireflies. Oh, 
think moonlight on the water, that kind of night, the smell of grass, the dewiness, like that kind of night. But I do love that night at the end, that maze, that it's such an awesome seventh. What a way to end a piece. I mean, it is not my key, not my key, but for someone it is. And actually Martin Hill does a beautiful job singing this on this album. It's, it's seamless. The way he negotiates the passaggio points, I mean, it's just right. You know, you talk about voix mix, this tenor can do it. He does it well. You need, you need to have that beautiful, lofty, true quality in that voix mix up there to sell this piece. And it's just beautiful. I love it. Love this piece. For purchase information, because we're talking about three different composers rather than announce them all here we will put that information into the show notes and as far as level are these appropriate for beginners are they more appropriate for somebody sort of more advanced or more professional i mean who who would these songs be appropriate for honestly i think the the mandoline could be sung by almost any level i mean i think it's very accessible again not too high there are some aussie there's an aussie high note that you can take or not so if you're a soprano you may want to take that a if you're a mezzo you could sing this and just stay on the f so i like that you have a little bit of flexibility there and honestly it might be interesting for a singer to maybe program two or three different settings of mandoline in a row or throughout a program so let's say you wanted to do a program about i don't know about paintings and you wanted to intersperse your program with mandoline mandoline you know i, I love looking at different text settings actually i'm just going to interrupt for a second because i did that we had a recital called the Französische Sommernacht in Dresden, and I had somebody sing the Forêt, the Debussy, and then the Dupont Mandoline. So much fun. That, there you go. Great yeah. minds think alike, Alan. Yes, I would recommend <laughs> that. So yes, I definitely think this, this piece could be sung by almost any voice type, except maybe bass. This would not work in a bass voice. Yeah. The, the franc, again, because of where it sits, because of those F sharps, and because of the delicate nature of the way the piece is written, I really, I would, a tenor, I really just hear tenor singing that or countertenor. I could hear a countertenor doing that, but I do think that this piece would suffer if you transposed it. I agree with that. It would totally change the color, the timbre of the whole piece. And the Chabrier? The Chabrier, God, I mean, I would love to hear a baritone sing that. I would also love to hear a mezzo sing that. I don't think that gender plays a huge role in, in this text, I mean, any any gender could sing this piece. Mm -hmm. And depending on your viewpoint, the poem may take on a very different quality. So I think it'd be interesting to, see, to hear almost any voice type sing this piece. And I don't think it would be limited to advanced students, but they definitely would have to have some kind of French exposure to make the piece feel organic. Because again, it is set rather syllabically. So you want to make sure that your tunados and your accent d'insistance are all correctly applied. And when I say those fancy words, I just mean you have to have an organicness in it and a, and a fresh utterance when you, when you have a piece like this. Because the language is so accessible, you really want to make sure your language is like perfect. Our guest today was soprano Jennifer Aylmer, Associate Professor of Voice at Carnegie Mellon University. Musical performances on this episode were performed by Tony Marie and Ellen and recorded at the Camp Recording Studio in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania. Purchase information for the scores discussed in this episode are available in the show notes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find this podcast. 
episodes drop every first, third, and fifth Thursday of the month. So Lit Songlit is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about their network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org slash podcasts. Are you craving incredible song recitals? Are you interested in a behind-the-scenes view into professional songmaking at the highest levels of artistry? Are you looking to develop your own artistic and entrepreneurial skills as a classical musician in this ever-changing 21st century landscape? If you found yourself saying yes to any of those questions, look no further than Cincinnati Song Initiative's week-long program, The Fellowship of the Song. Taking place this year from May 19 through 26, The Fellowship brings together some of the country's brightest song performers and teachers for a week of classes, concerts, and study events. And we invite you to join us as an auditor, either in person in Cincinnati or online wherever you may be located. When you join the fellowship as an auditor, you gain instant access to the entire week's events and can go back and relive the magic through HD video recordings of each and every session. To learn more about this incredible new opportunity, visit CincinnatiSongInitiative.org slash audit.